Good morning, church. I'm glad to be here worshiping with you this morning. I want to take a minute to welcome our guest today and introduce myself to anybody I might not have met yet. My name's Kristen Veldheisen. I'm a youth pastor here at Pullman Foursquare Church, so I oversee the middle school and high school ministry. This Sunday is a little different, you might have noticed, because our regular worship leader is gone this week, so it's a real treat to have Antonio here leading for us. Thank you so much, Antonio. We appreciate you using your gifts to build the church. Also a little different is typically our lead pastor, Janie Pagels, speaks, but this morning you'll be hearing from me instead, so I hope you won't hold that against me. <laughs> um, okay, quick review. We kicked off the year with a series called Brave. Who all remembers that? All right, a couple of you. Um, hopefully more. <laughs> we were challenged in Brave to say no to fear and say yes to faith. Last week, we moved on from Brave to our new series called Risk, and it sounds scarier than it is. We learned from Pastor Jamie that a risk is any action that exposes us to the possibility of injury or loss. We also heard that God wants us to take good risks with our lives, that these are actually part of the everyday life of believers as we allow the Spirit of God to lead us to take God-glorifying risks. Today, as we continue with risk, we're looking at one kind of risk which our world is in dire need of, and that's the risk of reconciliation. Whether large or small, taking place in one moment or over a period of time, maybe it's one-on-one -on -one or between groups, groups of people, or any of the things in between these, we need reconciliation in a world that's broken and divided and in need of healing. Reconciliation is defined in the dictionary as the restoration of friendly relations. Things are brought back together. In the Bible, the word reconciliation is used to represent the restored friendly relationship, not just between people, but also between God and humans. It's closely associated with, and it's sometimes used interchangeably with the word atonement, which means being brought back into fellowship with God. It means the things that separated us don't matter anymore, that we've been made one, which is where we get the word atonement. You see that there? Atonement. Get it? We are made one at one mint, which is really a beautiful picture. The people who were divided have instead been made one. It's kind of reminiscent of a marriage as the two people have become one flesh when you're one with someone, the things that are for their benefit are for your benefit. You care for them as you care for yourself because you are one. There is no differentiation. You want the best for this person, not because of selfish motives, but because you care for them. And that's really God's heart for our world, reconciliation. We might come from broken families or have broken friendships or awkward moments or shattered hearts. We might have larger divisions, political, social, economic, religious. It might be that the things we consider normal cause us to look at another person and see them as separate or different or wrong. But that gets a little dangerous when we start to view those on the opposing side as the other, the other side of the fight between friends the other side of a family that hasn't been whole for many years. Are you tracking with me? It's the other side of, 
of a disagreement about something that's so important to us that might even affect how we live or work or do business. These are important things. It's easy to push away the other because they begin to represent these things that are important to us. Not just the specific action that hurt us, but the whole idea, the whole situation. But all that changes when we look at Jesus. Jesus, the heart and the glory and the power of God put into human body, or God in a bod, as a a youth pastor friend of mine says, um, he moved toward people on the other side. That's what Jesus did. He moved toward people. Today we're going to look at how he does that, how Jesus gives us the example of reconciliation. Taking the risk of reconciliation means moving toward the other in the same way that Jesus moved toward us. And it is a risk. We might not be accepted. We might get hurt. We might lose the whole relationship. But we might see the restoration, healing, and wholeness that comes when we choose to selflessly love another person. As we continue this morning, we're going to talk first about the reason for reconciliation, the reason for putting in the work of restoring broken relationships with other people. Romans 12.18 says this, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now when Jesus delivers his famous sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 5, he says that if a person is in the temple and is offering a sacrifice and remembers that his brother has something against him, that that person should go and be reconciled to his brother before offering the sacrifice to God. How we live with people matters to God. He says we should do all that we can to be at peace with them and even tells us to do the work of correcting things in our relationships before coming to worship him. Does this sound like it's pretty important to God? If you have a Bible with you this morning, um, either a paper copy or on your phone, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. The book of Romans is found in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. It's after the four Gospels. And the book of Romans is between the book of Acts and the book of 1 Corinthians. So this is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, which is why the book is called Romans. There you go. In the previous chapter, Paul was writing about the right relationship we have with God because of faith. In the chapter we're about to read, Paul explains how we're reconciled or how we have a restored relationship with God because of Jesus. He says it's all because of Jesus. I'm going to start reading in chapter 5, verse 1, and you can follow along with me. It says this, Therefore, since we have been made right with God, right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. 
and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright man, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I'm skipping ahead a couple verses, so picking up in verse 15, it continues. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for hanging with me through that long block of text. Um, What these verses show us is that God reconciled us to himself through his son, Jesus. Where we were once separated from God because of sin, we can now have a restored relationship with God through faith in Jesus. He did that because, did you see, of his great love for us. He did it because of his love for us. Not wanting people to stay stuck in brokenness or sinfulness, but wanting us to have the hope of life lived as a friend of God. This is the why of reconciliation, the reason it's so important to God. It's because it's motivated by his love. It reveals his love for us. Reconciliation with God happens because of his love, and he wants us to know that. Okay, so I'm going to take a quick poll of the room just to see uh, what kind of personalities we have in the room. Raise your hand when I'm describing your reaction, okay? Now, how many of you, when something really great happens, maybe you've been waiting for it for a long time, or, or maybe it's something that you're really happy about, you're just like pretty chill about that thing. Like maybe your significant other or closest friend knows about it, but not many other people. Just, 
you're happy, you kind of keep it to yourself. Okay, that's, that's a few of you. Um, okay, how many of you are like excited about it and you want to tell people? So maybe you tell people when it's an appropriate time to share. Okay, a little more, a little more normal than in the next group coming up. <laughs> um, finally, how many of you, you like lose your minds with excitement and you just like want to shout your awesome news from the rooftops? Okay, yeah, that's me. Um, I'm with you there, Curtis. Um, I'm like wildly so this person. I'm like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever and I'm so excited. For example, when my nephew was born, I told everybody and I sent out these super annoying mass texts every time I got a new picture of him. And I was like, oh my God, look at his face. He's so perfect. And Chris proposed to me and basically everyone knew like that second. Um, smaller things too, like someone compliments my shoes and I'm like, thanks so much, they were 50% off at the mall and that person totally doesn't care how much I paid, they just liked my shoes. <laughs> so, um, here's one more example. My side hustle right now is working at Dutch Bros Coffee and yesterday I worked at a shift where I ended up making $48 in, in tips. That's a, kind of a lot for tips and I was so excited that I texted all of my roommates to tell them. They're like, cool, huh. Um, but I like to be excited about stuff, you know? And I bring this up because it's what I thought of when I was reading the story of Zacchaeus in Luke this week. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, so he was basically hated by everyone in Jewish society because he was seen as a sellout. He worked for the Roman government and collected people's taxes, but he charged them way more money than they should have had to pay, and he got to keep the extra. He got rich from by by stealing from people. So tax con tax collectors, sorry, were considered on par with like the worst of the worst. He got rich by stealing from people. And when Jesus came through Jericho, where Zacchaeus lived, he climbed a tree so he could see Jesus. As Jesus passed by the tree, he called up to Zacchaeus and he said, "Hey, I'm coming to your house." So Zacchaeus, he excitedly climbs out of the tree and he takes Jesus to his house. Now Jesus could have shunned Zacchaeus, just like everyone else did, but instead Jesus chose to validate his humanity. Jesus chose to turn away from his cheating ways. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Zacchaeus chose to turn away from his cheating ways and said that he would give away half of his wealth to the poor and pay back four times as much to the people he cheated. That's a pretty significant reaction. This man is excited. Uh, he wanted to share it with everyone. His reconciliation with God led him to being reconciled to the community that hated him. His relationship with God was restored and his relationship with his community was restored. John Piper, he's a, a well-known pastor and theologian, um, also an author. He writes this in his book. Oh gosh, I just lost my place. Hang on. Writes this in his book, 50 Reasons Jesus Came to Die. Only when we experience the pardon of Christ can he become the pattern for us. This is the natural response of a person who's been changed by God. Maybe you're not quite as annoyingly exuberant as me or Zacchaeus, but when we're reconciled to God, our 
our natural response is to tell other people and to then pursue reconciliation in the broken areas around us. We're mimicking Jesus, making his actions the pattern for our lives. And that's how the world has changed. As more and more people experience a restored relationship with God, there's a ripple effect as they put in the work of restoring the broken relationships around them. Our world is healed through this spiral of reconciliation. It's hatred replaced by community. People who are long separated have been brought together with joy. This is heaven come to earth. It's an example of uh, the Hebrew idea of shalom, when everything is as it should be, when we're at peace in relationship to ourselves, to others, to our environment, and to God. It's a throwback to the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve walked and talked with God daily in his new creation. That's the relationship we want to restore, that of God to his people and his people to each other. So how do we do this work of reconciliation? Who moves first when a relationship is broken or there's an awkward moment or should we wait for the other person to apologize or do we apologize? I want to share um, an answer to this question, just share it quickly about a man who I consider kind of a master of reconciliation. It's someone who modeled for me the hows and the whys of demonstrating value and respect for others. And that person is my dad. Now, I have pretty rad parents. I think you've heard me talk about them. Um, and I think they're great for a lot of reasons, but this is one I think of often. When I was in middle school, my dad bought a new set of golf clubs that he was super excited about. And I had never golfed, but I wanted to look at the clubs because I'm a curious person. So my dad let me take them out and I'm holding them and he tells me not to swing them in the house. That sounds kind of obvious, right? Like just don't break things. Um, eighth grade me <laughs> was not smart. My dad, he leaves the house. I finished my homework and I start looking at the golf clubs again like, oh yes, look at me. I'm going to be on the range. I'm just going to hit that ball and it's going to go super far and yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm like gloriously picturing this, I raise my arms to simulate what swinging that club would feel like, and I put a hole in the wall right away. <laughs> exactly the size and shape of a golf club. Now I was freaking out, because if anything is true about my dad, it's that he follows through on what he says. <laughs> so I knew I was going to get in trouble. Now my mom, she saw the hole and she knew I had disobeyed my dad and she told me I would have to deal with the consequences. Now how many of you know what that means? Deal with the consequences. <laughs> yeah, it meant I was doomed. For the next two hours, I was so distraught. I was waiting for my dad to come home to see how he would react. And he finally came home and I showed him right away since I couldn't hide the big hole in the wall right next to his golf clubs. And you know what my dad did? He laughed. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he knew that was going to happen because he knew me. <laughs> and seeing how upset I was over putting the hole in the wall after he obviously told me to be careful, my, my dad chose to have mercy and not punish me. He hugged me and he thanked me for telling him and he told me, that I was more valuable to him than a wall. And our relationship was strengthened because my dad could have rightfully punished me 
I deserved it. But instead, he chose to move toward me. Now, another story um, or just example that sticks in my head about my dad is how he responded when, when he was angry. Actually, sorry, not when he was angry, when he was wrong. Um, now, <laughs> I know probably all of you in the congregation are like the exception to the rule, but um, I made my parents angry and my parents made me angry. But I always knew my parents loved me and made the best decisions they could. And part of the reason I knew that is because on many occasions, my dad would return and apologize if he realized he was wrong about something, like an action or a decision. And he would ask my sisters and I to forgive him. He didn't pridefully act as if he were right all the time, but he recognized and he owned his mistakes and he valued our relationship enough to bridge the gap between us. That's something I hope to, to model in my life for my children. Not letting pride or shame keep me from reconciliation, but choosing to be the first person to move. And so I think if we go back to the beginning of the question, how do we do this work of reconciliation? What, what, what does that look like? What do I do? Who most, do I apologize? The answer to the question is you. Who moves first? It's you. A lot of us have heard the story of the, the prodigal son. So I'll just do a quick recap for you. In Luke 19, Jesus tells us this story. There was a man, he had two sons, and the younger son asked for his inheritance. He wanted it now, instead of waiting for his father to die. So the father agrees, and the son takes the money and everything he has, and he leaves. And the story says that he wasted his money on wild living. So I kind of picture that he's down on a beach in Mexico, and he's partying it up all day, every day, until he runs out of money. And then a famine came, so the son didn't have any money to buy food, so he got a job feeding pigs. He was so hungry that even the slop he fed the pigs looked appetizing. Eventually, the man realized that if he had just stayed at home, it would have been better. He remembers that even his father's servants had plenty to eat and were well cared for, so he decides that he will go home, apologize, and beg his father to have mercy and just let him be a servant in his house. So he does that. He goes home, but before he gets to the house, the father sees him from far away and he runs to his son and he hugs him and he kisses him and the son apologizes and begs for his father to just make him a servant, but the father won't have any of that. He tells the servant to bring the finest clothes and jewelry and to kill the fattened calf and the father threw a party for his son who turned his back on his father. The son wasn't expecting anything, but the father was literally waiting for his son to return. I kind of get the impression that he's watching at the window, like hoping his son is going to come home any day now. The father is filled with compassion for his son and doesn't wait for his son to apologize, but instead moves toward his son while he's still far away. He welcomes the son back into their home and the whole community rejoices Jesus tells us this illustration, the story is an illustration of God and people, but he flips our expectations. He says that God doesn't wait for us 
to initiate reconciliation, but sent Jesus to die for us, to pardon us, while we were still in the midst of our mess. The Father is God watching at the window for us to turn to walk toward him so he can run and embrace us. That's how Jesus teaches us to do reconciliation. He shows us that he reaches out first. He moved toward humans while we were still enemies of God. He determined to make us his friend. And just as Jesus is the pattern for how to live our lives, our role as reconcilers is to move toward people, the other, when it looks like the natural thing to do is push them away. Often when we're in conflict with a person, we just want space. We want to get away. If we can't physically get out of that space, we might turn our bodies away from them. There's even a recognized phrase for this, giving someone the cold shoulder. You see that? It's like the opposite of a warm embrace. Our instincts, when we feel hurt or in conflict, is to get away. Now my husband Chris and I, um, when we're out, we like to watch people at restaurants or other places. Uh, we watch couples and we kind of make up stories about their lives. It's their first date or she's mad at him about whatever. Anyway, it's weird, but we rate how other people's dates are going. <laughs> uh, yeah, you better. We never see you guys out. <laughs> better hope. You can tell a lot about a person based off their body language where their bodies are directed. Are they turned toward you or away from their partner? Is he leaning in and listening, attentive, like he's interested in what she's saying or, or kind of covering his body and he's checked out and, and cut off from the conversation? Our bodies demonstrate what our hearts are doing. When we turn away from someone, it often indicates how we feel about them. And here's the truth this morning. God never turns away from us. His heart is always angled toward us. Jesus says that's his exact purpose in coming to earth in Luke 19.10. He says the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus seeks us out. He shows us how to demonstrate reconciling love for another person through his love that moves toward us. Recently, I came across the story of Eva Moses Kaur and Rainer Hess. Now, I'm sorry if I'm butchering the pronunciation of these German names. Um, Eva Kaur and her twin sister were sent to Auschwitz as children and experienced horrific treatment at the hands of Nazi soldiers. Because they were twins, they were allowed to live, but they had to endure inhumane, near-deadly medical experiments. Eva's testimony was influential in the conviction of Nazi war criminals after the Holocaust. Rainer Hess is the grandson of Rudolf Hess, and you might recognize this name because he was the commandant of Auschwitz and the person responsible for using Cyclone B to kill millions of people in gas chambers. Rainer left his family at the age of 16, and they're still estranged because Rainer's family refuses to renounce Rudolf's actions. Rainer 
renounced the attitudes and actions of his grandfather and now spends his life trying to make amends and teach tolerance to other people. And Rainer and Eva now share a friendship through which they teach other people about forgiveness. Eva introduces Rainer as her adopted grandson. Where Rainer has no family, Eva has stepped in to fill the void and love him as her own. You see, reconciliation is forgiveness in action. It's choosing to not allow the thing, whatever the thing is, the thing, to separate you anymore. Forgiveness heals your soul. Reconciliation takes it a step further to restore the community. No longer a splintered, broken down relationship, but a love for the other person that builds them up. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward now as we're nearing the end. It can be pretty easy to, to talk about reconciliation and, and to think we know what it looks like maybe, but it doesn't come cheaply. The price tag is high. Reconciliation costs Jesus his life, and it costs us our pride, the part of us that wants to insist we are right and the other person is wrong. This week I was reading Romans chapter 6, and I was really hit by verse 16. It says, don't you realize you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? We become slaves of whatever we choose to obey. When we're divided, what are we choosing to obey? Bitterness, unforgiveness, shame, fear. All of these are motivators that will keep our relationships broken. They prevent us from living God's best for us. Now you've probably heard the saying that holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Or I heard a, a friend of mine say that um, it's like drinking hot sauce and expecting the other person's mouth to just catch on fire. It just doesn't work. Unforgiveness doesn't hurt the person with whom we're angry. It destroys our insides. We become motivated by anger, hurt, and fear that another person will hurt us. It cripples our future relationships because our hearts aren't whole. When I was a kid, uh, my sisters and I were at the park and I thought it would be super fun to hang upside down and swing by my ankles. So my sisters tied my ankles up and they, they threw the rope over the swing set and I had a lot of fun for like uh, a minute. <laughs> my sister got tired of holding the rope and tied the end of it to a pole. <laughs> It was less fun for like another minute. And then as all the blood rushed to my head, it was definitely not fun anymore. But the weight of my body pulled the knot too tight and nobody could get me down. I was stuck and hurt from my own idea. And that's what I picture when I think of this verse. You become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. What used to be fun or was functional for a minute instead becomes painful and actually harms us. 
Bitterness and unforgiveness keep us filled with anger, unable to treat others with love. Shame and fear prevent us from coming clean about our mistakes, so we can't apologize. We fear the other person will reject us, so we just freeze. These things are at the root of our separation, be it from other people or from God. Don't let the enemy have that control. Don't let bitterness, shame, and fear rob you of God's best for you. Just like Jamie told us last week, these things are like the Jezebel spirits that actively silence our voice in the world by keeping us from doing what we're called to do, by be keeping us from being what we're called to be and saying what we're called to say. The two types of risk we're talking about in this series are the step out risk and the slow down risk. Now, God might be calling you to take one or the other or maybe both. The step out risk is between you and another person. Have you offended someone and need to ask their forgiveness so you can be reconciled? Has someone offended you and you need to seek them out and offer forgiveness? Who is God calling you to come back into relationship with? The slow down risk is between you and God. Sometimes our inner lives, even as people who love God, look like people who are running away from Him. Have you been running from something God wants to talk to you about? Will you be reconciled to Him and say yes to His Spirit this morning? Or maybe, maybe today the risk God is calling you to take is that of being reconciled to God for the first time. Maybe this is the first time you have heard the truth that God's heart is turned toward you instead of away from you. And you want your life to be reconciled to God so you can experience his forgiveness and his freedom. If you fit in one of these categories, I'm going to give you some space to deal with these things in your heart. Um, If you want, you can come forward to the front and use that space to just talk with God about it, or you're welcome to stay in your seat. I'm just going to pray over you this morning. God, we thank you because reconciliation is a gift from you. It's something that you modeled for us. And this morning we ask you to to be the bridge that we need. Um, Would you give us faith to overcome the fear of being reconciled to other people? Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, would you allow us to say no to bitterness and unforgiveness and fear and shame? And instead, would we step out in faith to move toward people who have become the other in our lives? God, we pray for those relationships that have been broken for many years. Would you mend them by the power of your Holy Spirit? And Jesus, we thank you because your reconciliation is not just a one-time thing, but it's a continual thing. It is heaven come to earth. And as we proclaim your reconciliation, would you bring your kingdom here on this earth? In Jesus' name, amen. 
wherever you are this morning, God wants to tell you that his heart is for you and that nothing in this world could separate you from his love. Thank you so much for being here with me this morning. And so I leave you with this. In our lives this week, may it truly be, as is written in Ephesians 2.14, that Christ himself is our peace. As Jesus has already broken down the dividing wall of hostility, may we be united as one people. Amen. Thank you, church.